This is Meatless, a podcast about eating from how we get to next. I'm Alicia Kennedy, a food and drink writer. I'll be having conversations with chefs, writers, and more about how their personal and political beliefs determine whether or not they eat meat. The show asks the question, how do identity, culture, economics, and history affect a diet? In this episode, I talked to John Currens, a James Beard award-winning chef based in Oxford, Mississippi. He owns the restaurant City Grocery, Big Bed Breakfast, Bourree, and Snack Bar. He received nationwide attention in 2014 for his big gay welcome table dinners, which were a protest against the Mississippi Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which would have allowed for businesses to discriminate on the basis of sexuality or religion. We discuss breakfast around the world, the role of activism in his restaurants, and how a bacon-loving Southern chef reacts to vegans. Hi, John. Thank you so much for uh, chatting with us for Meatless. Of course. Thank you. Can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate? Well, I was jumping into it. All right, right. Um... <laughs> Uh, I grew up in New Orleans, um, and uh, I ate everything, with the exception of tomatoes, I think, until I was about 18 years old. So, um, you know, New Orleans, you know, I grew up in the, in the, uh, in the 60s and, uh, and, and early 70s, uh, you know, sort of in the, the shadow of the civil rights movement in New Orleans. Um, and... You know, food was still sort of a very vibrant and honest part of the, uh, you know, of the, the culture of New Orleans. And um, so, you know, Caribbean, Spanish, French, uh, you know, food and, you know, plus the, you know, sort of the, the food of the the, uh, the Cajuns of South Louisiana, you know, were, were all very distinct parts of the, uh, you know, what I grew up with. I, you know, I had a father who was in international business and oil and gas, and uh, and and my mother who traveled with him occasionally that was fascinated with food, and sort of forever you know traveling with him to you know to India to the Far East uh, to Western Europe, and uh, you know it was a it was a kitchen tinker so she was always coming home and and sort of recreating the things that she had eaten in these places which she traveled with my dad, um, so there really wasn't anything that, you know, that I didn't eat or wasn't put in front of me. And food was a, a huge part of my life. Um, and, you know, sort of beyond that, I had, you know, grandparents that, uh, that, that had gardens and farms in, uh, in North Carolina and Georgia and spent summers with them. And so, you know, saw an entirely different plate of food, you know, in the summers that uh, my brother and I would spend, you know, up there uh, w- with them in the, the summers of our childhood. And when did you become a chef? Well, I don't know. It depends who you talk to. I might never have actually. Um, I, uh, I, I, I started cooking, uh, and I guess, I mean, my, my first cooking job was the, the morning after I graduated from high school. I, I, I got a job on a, a tugboat working as a deckhand in the Gulf of Mexico and was informed that I was going to be the cook when I arrived. And I had a blast doing it, um, and you know, sort of working this little galley kitchen all summer long, cooking, cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the same ten guys every day. Um, you know, it was a, an interesting challenge, and you know, and I, I had a good time with it. So when I got off to college, and you know, and I wanted to make extra money, it was easy to just sort of go out and 
uh, you know, and pick up a sandwich shop job or a short order, uh, you know, cafe line job. Um, and so I had, you know, kind of a couple of those just to make beer money when, when I was in school and uh, ultimately ended up um, at the University of North Carolina landing a job at a place called Crook's Corner, um, which you know, was by total mistake in the, uh, the sort of the, the early mid-80s. Um, a bunch of my friends were, were working there, and so I picked up a job in the kitchen Sort of unbeknownst to me, you know, what was going on there was that the chef and owner was a gentleman named Bill Neal. Um, and at the time, you know, Bill had been recognized by Craig Claiborne in the Times for the work that he was doing in food. And he was, you know, what he was doing was taking the, the food of his childhood table in the low country of South Carolina. And when I say that, I mean like cornbread and collard greens, uh, you know, for the first time and bringing them to sort of the fine linen, I mean, the, the, the white linen fine dining uh, 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 table for people to eat. And, you know, he was, he was a, a very accomplished uh, in, in French technique. And so he was basically sort of like taking these foods, you know, of his childhood that he loved and elevating them, you know, sort of through French technique. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm just in the middle of this. And he ended up sort of taking me on as his protege. And that's who I really did my training under. Um, so that was, the, uh, that was the genesis of it. I, you know, I, I returned to New Orleans um, to help a friend open a, uh, a restaurant called Gotro's in the neighborhood that, that, uh, that we grew up in. Um, and, you know, what I, you know, came away from, you know, with in Chapel Hill, you know, just knowing that, you know, I really enjoyed working in a professional kitchen, um, getting to New Orleans and getting into another gear where it was, you know, highly competitive. There was a tremendous amount of history in the kitchens in the city of New Orleans. You know, that's what really sort of cemented, um, you know, for me that that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And can you talk a bit about your restaurants and what inspired the genesis of them? Um, sure. So... In about 1992, uh, at the the age of 27, I was just stupid enough to think that I was ready to you know, open uh, my own restaurant. And I was at a crossroads in New Orleans, and uh, I had had some you know some frustrating experiences. And um, uh, I went to Oxford, Mississippi, to visit a high school friend for the weekend because it was as far away as I could get from New Orleans on a tank of gas and get back in time to work on Monday morning. And so um, I, I went to visit and, you know, one thing led to another and, you know, we started drinking beer and, you know, decided that we could solve all the problems of the world through food. And it, why would we want to, you know, take on the street fight in New Orleans when there was this little town in Mississippi that, um, you know, was clearly hungry for something. There was nothing going on at all. And there were all these sort of prime real estate spaces that were completely available to us to, to do something in. And, uh, you know, my, my, my initial reaction was, you know, why the hell would I want to end up in Oxford, Mississippi? Um, and, you know, as I went home back to New Orleans and thought about it, it was, uh, I went, I made a second trip back about three weeks later. And, you know, it just, it sort of unfolded for me. And, uh, you know, I saw what the, the potential was, 
um, a ridiculous opportunity presented itself to us. And, you know, next thing I know, you know, we're, you know, sort of putting on a Little Rascals show, you know, cobbling together, you know, duct tape and um, broken glass to, you know, to put together our first restaurant, um, you know, for, for next to nothing. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a fairy tale story and, you know, sort of how little it took for us to get City Grocery open, which was my first. And, you know, and it was just an immediate success because there, there really was nothing else in town. There were a bunch of younger uh, professionals uh, that were, uh, you know, at work and, and wanted something. And, you know, they responded to, to what we did, which was, you know, nothing more than, um, you know, us taking the best quality ingredients we could and putting together you know, the very simplest of dishes executed as as well as we could, you know, sort of like the Zuni Cafe chicken, um, you know, crab cakes, you know, it was just really, really very straightforward things that, you know, that I, that I knew. Um, and it was, it was just a smash hit. And so um, we just went from there. I, you know, I thought that I would spend a couple of years in Oxford and sort of move on and come to, you know, uh, come back up to New York or, um, go to, uh, you know, back to New Orleans or, or what have you, and, uh, and that, you know, life would just progress. And 27 years later, you know, here I am still in Oxford and churning away at it, and we've opened, you know, a dozen restaurants in Oxford over those 20-something years, and, um, you know, and, you know, it's, it's home. So your book, uh, Big Bad Breakfast, has eggs and bacon on the cover, and one of your uh, breakfast Ten Commandments is uh, you shall lather with butter. So I just wanted to ask what you think of vegans, if anything at all. Um, well, you know, I think, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, I love bluster. And, you know, and so anybody who takes a different path, um, you know, that, that inconveniences, you know, stove jocks, um, you know, is always sort of, you know, fodder for that cannon blast. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that, um, you know, in, in our kitchens, um, we, we actually, we take uh, vegetarianism and pescatarianism, you know, and all, you know, dietary restrictions, um, you know, extraordinarily seriously. And, you know, what we... You know, we really look at, uh, you know, somebody coming in that, that has, um, you know, special dietary needs as, as a challenge. Um, you know, it was about 15 years ago that I started talking about it to my guys. Like, look, you know, how tiresome is it just cooking the same thing every day? I mean, we change our menus, um, you know, regularly enough. But, you know, you still are, you know, night in and night out preparing the same dishes so that when somebody shows up, um, you know, you've got the opportunity to create something different, you know, for them. And our, um, you know, what, you know, what, what I've had the, the, the ability, you know, to learn from, you know, some of the finest people in the industry, whether it's, you know, Ella Brennan uh, or Danny Meyer, is that the, you know, the, the significance of, you know, taking care of people you know, can, can never, ever, ever get lost or even the slightest bit muddied, um, you know, or, you know, you're, you're not, you know, you're, you're not fulfilling your commitment to what you do. And so, you know, I, you know, in, in order to, 
to 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 charm a you know a girl that I fell in love with in in Chapel Hill you know when when I was a was a young man you know took the path of uh, you know of vegetarianism just sort of not uh, you know for 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 no other reason than you know I, I wanted to impress her you know with my commitment um, but and as much as you know I you know have have you know tried to to keep that in mind always. You know what? I don't think that I ever really. I think when the the, the door really swung wide for me was uh, traveling to Gujarat, India, um, about four years ago, um, with one of my dearest friends in the world, as our chef at uh, at snack bar Vishwesh Bhatt, um, and just sort of seeing the world of possibility. Um, you know, in Gujarat, um, which is. Ex- extremely, extremely, you know, uh, an extremely conservative state, very religiously conservative. And, and as a result, you know, the, the population, uh, you know, is, is very vegetarian. And so seeing the insane spectrum of possibility out there that, you know, that there was in flavors and textures, you know, in the food that was available, um, and then even, you know, noticing beyond that, because, you know, there's, there's such a, you know, a, uh, you know, a challenge with, with water purification over there that you completely take out of the equation any sort of raw vegetable preparation for the most part. Like, so everything is just, you know, is, is cooked very deeply, um, you know, so that, that, you know, there's no threat of intestinal issues um, that, you know, here I was like, there's this in insane amount of food, you know, that's available that I just would have never considered. And then that that's even leaving this, this, the whole scree of possibilities you could go beyond with into, you know, raw foods that on top of that, it's like, I could not have been any more excited, uh, you know, to come home and, uh, and, and start cooking again. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, judge people, you know, I think, you know, where we, you know, we, we, we run into, you know, into speed bumps every once in a while um, is, uh, you know, when, you know, it's, it's more event things that we do. So, like, when we have a, you know, an, an event that is, that is sort of billed as the meet, 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 and meet dinner, come and get your meat, um, you know, and then we, you know, we're, we're told, you know, an hour before the event, that is, you know, is off-site in another city. Um, well, we have we have two vegetarians that are coming, um, and we uh, and we have one pescatarian and you know one ovo lacto and you know and we're like, well, okay, what are we supposed to do about this? And how much more could we have advertised that you know this is, you know, and and so it you know it becomes a you know in those moments sort of an issue of consideration. Um, you know, that, uh, you know, at, at times there is this challenge to sort of like, well, wait a minute. So we, we need to adjust our, uh, you know, entire world, you know, to, um, you know, to catering to the whim of somebody who's, you know, not let us know in advance what's going on. It's like, because I don't think that the, um, that the converse is true, you know, that you can go to a vegetarian restaurant and go, um, we've got somebody that wants a steak coming in tonight, yeah. right? And it's an absurdist argument, you know, but, you know, the, the bottom line is, is like, you know, it's, this is, a, you know, sort of a greater issue when it comes to politics and morality and sort of what's going on in the world. 
Like, I think we just all have to be, you know, more considerate of one another's, you know, sort of needs and, you know, conveniences and inconveniences. And so, you know, in those moments, is there still a little grumbling in our kitchens, you know, from time to time or, uh, you know, at, uh, you know, at an event? Sure there is, you know, but again, you know, for me, you know, I really deeply believe that there's, there's nothing, you know, that's, that, you know, gives our guys a greater opportunity to showcase than to say, oh, all of a sudden we've got somebody in the house that needs to be taken care of. Let's go to the walk-in and put something together, you know, that when they walk away, you know, the feeling is, holy cow. I mean, it wasn't just like these guys took their side vegetables and all put them on a plate and went, here you go. Um, you know, we can really do something special and make somebody feel taken care of. So uh, I think that answers it. <laughs> um, so we vegans and vegetarians talk a lot about breakfast kind of being one of the hardest meals for someone who doesn't eat meat, or especially someone who doesn't eat eggs. Like what would you serve a vegan for breakfast that you think would actually be stunning? Well, you know, I, I think that there is... You know, because we have been so trained to think that, you know, our our breakfast, you know, the American breakfast plate, you know, is what breakfast should be. Um, you know, that was sort of part of what the idea of opening Big Bad Breakfast was about, um, was, you know, taking the opportunity to do, you know, other things. Like this is, eggs and bacon are, you know, are just you know, one, you know, one answer, um, you know, to, you know, I, you know, I always think of, uh, you know, like upma or, you know, grits, uh, and mushrooms, vegetables on, you know, on saute, you know, with, uh, you know, with, with polenta or grits, um, you know, that, uh, you know, you substitute out your, your dairy for, you know, for non-dairy liquids and, you know, in order to cook them off. And, you know, then it's just all about the seasonings that you use, um, you know, in order to make those things unctuous, you know, from, you know, a, uh, from, from a different angle. And so, you know, when, when I think about, about dishes, uh, you know, I, I think about, um, when I was heavily designing, you know, in the days when, you know, I was in the kitchen every day and was coming up with, you know, with, with four specials every day, um, you know, we, my dishes were, you know, always comprised of, you know, of something, something hot, something cold, something sweet, something salty, something crunchy, something soft. And so, you know, with me, you know, you get in, you know, you get into a, you know, a dish like that and then, you know, you, you, you can use some, some pickled ramps some sauteed mushrooms, you know, uh, you, you know, garnish it with some crispy garlic and all of a sudden like that bowl of, you know, of, of polenta, um, you know, becomes something that's, you know, that's a little more transcendent. You've got, you know, you've got layers of flavors and textures going on and at different temperatures and things happening. And so, um, you know, I guess the, the real bottom line is that, you know, I think the first thing that I do is go, well, let's just push the egg plate to the side. That's off the table. Um, and, you know, it, Breakfast can be whatever you want. I mean, this idea that, you know, you either have a pancake or you have eggs and bacon, you know, as breakfast or, you know, it's not breakfast is kind of BS. Um, you can eat whatever you want. And when you look at, you know, at breakfast in Malaysia, um, you know, they, in, in Malaysia, the, the, my, the, 
I, I did a writing assignment um, in uh, for a far magazine uh, years ago where they, they send you to a blind destination. And mine was Kuala Lumpur. And so I had no idea until I arrived at the airport where I was going and got on a plane um, you know, for a place I'd never been before or knew anything about. And given a budget and just told for two weeks, go do whatever you want and then write about what you learned while you were there. Um, and so, I, you know, I thought I was going to write about food and I explored food deeply all over the country, um, but really ended up being more fascinated with the people that I met. Um, the food was amazing. And I, and I never ate at the same place twice except one place, which was a little breakfast stall down an alleyway across from the hotel that I stayed at in Kuala Lumpur. And they, they made something that they called uh, roti, um, which is not like an Indian roti. It's more like a parantha um, or this sort of layered flat bread that you, you pull out. And, 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 it, and it's, la it's, like it's no thicker, really, than like two or three tortillas stacked. And, and you pull it, and it's doughy. And, um, you know, and, and all they did was sort of fold scallions and vegetables into it. And, you know, it had this sort of sweet and salty... Um, soy sauce to dip in, and some dal, like some black dal that was sort of all, all the way cooked down. And it was, I mean, it absolutely blew my mind how delicious it was. And it cost like 17 cents with an extra like eight cents for coffee. And, and so I, I, I went back, a, you know, a second time. It's like, this was just so amazing. And I think, you know, it, oddly, and I don't know what this says when... We're in India. Um, you know, the the only place that we went to eat twice was a breakfast place. Um, you know, there's uh, um, the uh, the Irani culture in um, in uh, in Mumbai um, are uh, Muslim exiles from from Iran that uh, that moved into India, and they they created a series of these sort of Parisian looking um, bistros. Um, that uh, sort of specialized in arani chai and um, and uh, and breakfast, and so they they make these sort of delightful pow for breakfast and and keema and scrambled eggs and, and and ketchup. And so, while you know we don't we might not satisfy the vegans with scrambled eggs, you know uh, the uh, you know from a vegetarian standpoint, you know this is really sort of like delightfully perfectly scrambled eggs with uh, spicy maggi. Uh, ketchup on them. It was like these super, like crazy soft uh, sort of Portuguese yeast rolls. Um, you know, were as satisfying a breakfast as I ate anywhere. So, um, to bring it back to your restaurants, now you have a lot of fundraisers and a lot of messaging around social justice issues. Um, what inspired you to bring those into your restaurant? Mm. Well. Um, I think you know it started with common decency um, and an understanding when we opened that um, you know and I, I never got a lesson in you know from a business ethics class that you know that we have you know some sort of um, implied responsibility to to give something back to our community, but it seemed to make sense to me and I guess it's if I don't know if it's how I'm wired or you know what I got from my parents or a combination of both you know, just how I was raised. Um, and so we, we began, you know, working in the community immediately upon opening, you know, so I just felt like, you know, if you, 
if uh, you know if you don't feed your you know, your community and all you do is take you know from them, I mean that's a parasitic relationship that is ultimately going to fail. Um, and so you know we we started working with um, uh, with a number of different nonprofits in town, and you know that grew into you know me just sort of you know feeling a, you know a greater responsibility to to you know to be a voice for the people that I employed. You know when you have the opportunity to speak and people will listen to you. And you represent people. I mean, it's you know, it sort of it starts with your family. I mean, you're going to do whatever it is to take care of your family. And I and I don't like to you know to refer to you know the the folks that uh, work on our team together as family because I think it's it sounds kind of cliche and disingenuous. But you know, I feel like you know sort of the representative you know of these guys. And when you know when I look across the faces of you know the 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 people that work for me you know they are immigrants they are you know they they are made up of you know folks from the lgbt community um you know they they are folks that you know if i don't speak up you know for them you know what does that say about me as you know as as a leader to them um you know, these are the guys that give us the, you know, ability to, to make the living and the reputation that we do every day. And so, you know, that to me could not be any more uh, significant, you know, at all or important. And so, you know, I think those two things combined, uh, you know, are what, uh, you know, sort of really led me down that road. Uh, you know, when it, when it comes to my, you know, enormously foul, mouth when it comes to, you know, to politics, um, you know, I, I think that that is, you know, is probably, you know, largely due to the fact that you know, I, I studied um, American political philosophy um, and political science, uh, you know, for years at a liberal arts school in, uh, in Virginia. And, you know, and so I feel like, you know, I have a very deep understanding for you know, particularly now that we talk about what, you know, what the intentions of the founding fathers were when they wrote the Second Amendment, and so on and so forth. I study that stuff. I've read every one of the Federalist Papers. I know what the intention of these men was when they were writing the Constitution, what they debated about, what their thought processes were. And, you know, we're, you know, more often than not, we're we're using false and incorrect arguments to you know to represent um, a defense for you know whatever it is that we're arguing about. And so, um, you know, I I believe deeply in you know in virtues and the importance you know of dignity to the office of the president of the United States of America. And when I see you know these things being washed away. And not just washed away, but more like cast off like ballast um, as, you know, sort of unimportant. I mean, I'm sorry. It's important for our president to tell the truth. It's important for our politicians to tell the truth to the people. And, um, you know, when, when you have, when you have, when you're watching people lie, you know, on television, they say one thing one day. And then they deny saying it the next day, and it, you and, and people won't even listen when you say, "Look, well, we have you on film saying this yesterday." Um, they say, "Still, it's not true. That wasn't me," kind of thing. Um, 
it, it's, you know, it's terrifying to me. And then you go beyond that and, you know, you begin vilifying intellectualism, you know, as, you know, as a need for, you know, people who are just poor and need to work and, you know, and justify their existence. Um, and, you know, and then finally the, you know, the demeaning the, the integrity of the press, of the free press, you know, to me, these are, these are all things that are terrifying red flags um, for, you know, what the, uh, you know, what the potential future is, if this continues. I mean, and, you know, sadly what we see is like these, these trends tend to play themselves out, you know, over a long period of time. It's not just like there's going to be four years and people go, wait, you know, this is bad. You look at the segment of the, the population out there that still, sorts of, um, you know, doesn't find you know, these sorts of conversations troublesome, you know, that scares me. I mean, smart, intelligent, educated people, um, you know, out there that, that I know that have conversations that just don't care about the fact, you know, that we're, we're being lied to every day really troubles me. And is there, has there been a time when you have felt that you needed to put aside your politics for the sake of your business? <clears throat> um, not as much as lots of other people in my life around me have felt like uh, I needed to. And I mean, and I, I think that, you know, to a certain degree, um, I have. Um, I, I'm, I'm not as vocal. Uh, and I think a large part of it is because I just, you know, I realize that, you know, on uh, on social media, at least, is just where most of my time is spent. Um, you know, with that activity these days, it's you know, you uh, because people have the ability to just sort of click you off. They don't want to hear you have to say. You know, basically, sort of distilled followers on social media down to like-minded uh, folks. You know, and so the preaching to the choir is. Um, you know, it doesn't get any traction and you kind of, you know, you do look at the, you know, the clicks and the likes and whatnot, you know, sort of diminish, you know, it, 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 it kind of turns into a yawn. And so now the, you know, the, the question is, you know, what can we do to be involved with, you know, nonpartisan issues like, okay, now it's time to really talk about making sure that people are getting out and registering to vote in November um, and more than that, actually going out and doing it, showing up and doing it and being, you know, being the voices and, you know, <clears throat> and, you know, working, you know, more directly on, you know, issues that are important. You know, I, you know, I, I, I was thinking about it last night, you know, sort of before I went to bed, I was like, you know, the, the blissful thing about this miserably hot summer has been, you know, there hasn't been you know, a school shooting um, because everybody's been out of school. But it could not be any sadder, you know, to me to think that, okay, well, in about two weeks we can just start waiting for the first report to come in. And, you know, there doesn't seem to be, you know, any sort of priority placed on figuring out how the hell do we address this problem? You know, because we're clearly not interested in any sort of conversation, uh, you know, about gun control. <clears throat> um, you know, we can, that's a whole different road to go down. Um, 
but that, you know, there is a nation of children, and we have to think about the mental health issues that are at work here. <clears throat> There's a nation of kids now that are going to never know going to school and not having to think about that. I mean, I never went to school and, 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 and once thought that there was any sort of threat. Like when I got on school grounds, it's like you just went to school and you had fun and you played and you learned and you went to football practice and then you went home. You know, the threats were outside. Um, but there's a nation of kids now that they go to school every day not knowing whether somebody's going to bust into that school and start shooting. That's awful, you know, and, you know, and, and we haven't just denigrated the, you know, sort of the sanctity of schools, but, you know, churches as well. I mean, that's insane to me. And it's inexcusable. I mean, it's uh, so. Anyway, maybe there's happier questions coming down the right, pipe. Right, right. Well, <laughs> what is the power of, uh, of food and chefs to make social change, do you think? Well, I mean... You know, I, I I still like to believe that, you know, that the welcome table is a place where, you know, we can sit down and, our, you know, our appetites or our commonality that, you know, can help us come together and discuss these things. Um, and, you know, and I hold on to hope that, you know, we will listen to one another and learn, you know, from one another um, and, you know, and and find a middle um, you know, from a from a physics standpoint, you know, I I like to believe that we're we're getting so polarized, and that the gap in the middle, the vacuum, is so great that nature's abhorrence of it is going to help us create something. It's just going to suck up into the middle and create, you know, some sort of, you know, of, of middle party that is, you know, is based on sensibility, um, you know, and decency, and you know, and and get back to 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 the work of you know, of actually taking care of, you know, of our country again and, you know, and our planet. Um, this is, I mean, I, I, I just, you know, to, to this day, I, you know, I'm, I still cannot believe that we, you know, that we as a, as a country stood alone and walked off of the Paris board. Uh, the, you know, when there's, there's no question in anybody's mind whatsoever that, you know, that they're, you know, our issues with rising carbon dioxide levels in the, uh, in the atmosphere and that if we don't do something, you know, we're, we're, killing, we're killing the planet. Um, so now I completely forgot what the question was. Whether chefs and food can, can have any role in, in fixing these problems. Yeah, and, yeah, so, you know, I, I, you know, first of all, you know, I, I like to think that, you know, we, we provide the opportunity at our tables um, you know, for, you know, for people to talk, I, you know, I think, you know, the other thing is, is that, you know, having been handed over the course of, you know, of my career, you know, having gone from, you know, it's still sort of being, it's a, a sort of an ignoble and ignored profession to, you know, it being a, you know, a profession that has created ultra celebrity, um, that more of us have a megaphone. And, you know, I have not been afraid to use that megaphone. And and other chefs are getting, you know, less and less inclined to keep their mouths shut, um, you know, and, you know, out of fear that they, you know, that it might have an effect on their business. Um, 
And so, you know, I think the more people who get involved, you know, this, you know, we are a democratic republic, the more people that are involved, you know, the more likelihood there is that, you know, that we'll see change. And so, um, you know, I, I know that, that getting out there and, you know, beating on the stump in a, you know, in a vulgar fashion is not, you know, how I'm going to affect that. And, you know, I look at, at guys like Tom Colicchio, who, you know, I, I think, you know, the world of Tom and his, uh, you know, his uh, sort of monosyllabic responses on Twitter are the smartest out there. I mean, I, I watch him every day, you know, uh, shut people down, you know, with a half dozen syllables. You know, it's, it's, it's not running his mouth. It's not being vulgar. Um, you know, he's just smart enough that, uh, you know, he can look at these issues and, you know, in a matter of a, of a, a teeny tiny sentence, uh, concisely, you know, answer a question. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, the more folks that get involved, the more that we band together, the more that we're committed to, you know, trying to do what's right, um, you know, the, the, the more possibility there is to see change. And do you believe that cooking itself is, can be a political act? Um, I believe it can be a cathartic act. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, this is, I'm sure that, that, um, that, uh, that there are a lot of people that could come up with a, a much more clever response to that than, than I could. Um, you know, I, you know, I think I looked at, uh, you know, at cooking and, you know, a, uh, uh, from a rebellious angle, um, at one point in my life, um, but uh, I don't. I don't know that it's it's necessary necessarily political. Um, it's definitely personal, um, and you know that the best way to uh, you know to to sort of reach people is through you know transporting them through personal experience. And you know if we can touch them with our food, touch their hearts, you know take them to a place of you know of comfort, we're going to have a much easier time you know, sort of opening their soul to consideration. And so, in that way. Thank you so much, John, for taking the time. Of course, thank you.